Good evening. It's eight o'clock in Yerushalayim, and uh, let's learn a little bit about this week's parasha, the parasha of B'Shalach. This uh, shir is dedicated by Rebecca and Shalom Bronstein. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, like, if we thought of Yitziat Mitzrayim, this whole kind of, uh, this event, the Eser Makot, the 10 plagues that God brought down upon the Egyptians, the last plague seems to me always to have been really terrible. The death of the firstborn, I mean, how could anybody ignore that? And if we would say to ourselves, like, what was the purpose of all this? Was a person this complicated Yitziat Mitzrayim of talking to Paro and Paro rejecting the request? I mean, what was the point? So I think everybody would come up with um, the following obvious point that the process was there in order to educate B'nai Israel about something and also to educate the Egyptians about something. Now, the interesting thing is that the two things are close to each other, but they're not the same. What was it that we were gonna educate Am Yisrael about? Well, I think, I think we were gonna educate Am Yisrael that promises that originate with God are always going to be kept. I mean, they were in Egypt for 210 years. It was a long time had passed since the promise had been made to Avram Avinu, the promise that B'nai Yisrael would get, that B'nai Yisrael would get the land of Canaan. And they had read every reason imaginable to think that that promise was no longer valid or that God had forgotten about it. So what was it that B'nai Yisrael were going to learn from this process? What were they going to learn that promises that originate with God are kept? And if God promised, if God promised Avram Avinu that the land of Canaan would belong to his descendants, that is the way it's going to be. It's not relevant to quote the reality. The reality is, uh, is unimportant. That was what B'nai Yisrael might learn from Yitziat Mitzrayim. Now, what about the, the Egyptians? What, what could they learn? They were saying, well, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu told them again and again. There's one God, and the one God is all powerful, and there's no point in trying to take a stand against God. No point, because it's not going to, it's not going to work. That's what the Egyptians might learn from the process of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And even though the Egyptians, we don't expect that the Egyptians will be as the Jews are. No, we don't expect that. But something they might learn about God, about power, about the world, about creation, but all of these things that are in doubt, all these things that are in doubt, uh, 
hard to remember the Greeks had trouble with these with these things, but the Egyptians might have learned it from the process of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So look at the first pasuk in this parasha. I mean, I know that this is not necessarily true, but look, the first name we meet up with after the supposed defeat of Paro and the Egyptians in the last plague, the one that the the firstborn children were wiped out. Paro sent them. Not God sent them. So I have to say that if this interpretation is viable, that it was it was the Egyptians who said Bishalach Paro, but not the Jews. The Jews didn't say. The Jews said Bishalach Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Bishalach Paro etaam. And then you have another comment. That's the first comment about Paro. Another comment about the Am, the people who escaped. Lo nacham elokim derech eretz klishtim ki karovu. He says, God did not send them through the land of the Philistines. So the Philistines were like more or less what we call today Aza. Ritzuat Aza, the Aza Strip. That was the land of the Philistines in those days. So God didn't send them that way through the land of the Philistines. Ki karovu. Well, that sounds almost like a a, a, a mistake. With the karov, karov, who that's the reason you should send them. They could, they could get right to Right to Eretz Kina'an, Kiyam Harelokim, because Hakadosh Baruch thought about it, so to speak. You mean after all of the that all of what happened in Egypt, after all of the beating that was given to the Egyptians, after all the power and the might that God expressed in this process. At the end, at the end of all of this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was worried. So if we say that Yitziat Mitzrayim, that Yitziat Mitzrayim was an event that had educational value, educational value on the one hand for the Egyptians, we should learn about divine power and who is in charge of whatever is going on in the world. And if it was about Am Yisrael to learn that we can depend on a divine promise, we can, there's no doubt that if HaKadosh Baruch says we'll inherit the land, that we're going to inherit the land. There's no doubt, there's no doubt about that. And here you see in this pasuk, in the first pasuk, you see the exact opposite. First of all, you see Bishalach Paro, that Paro was the one who had the power here. And then, so the Egyptians and Paro was the one who sent them. The Egyptians obviously didn't learn anything. They didn't know anything about what was really happening, right? Bishalach Paro. And then when it comes to Am Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch was worried that even leaving Mitzrayim, running off into the desert, if they would go in the short way, we go in the short way to Eretz Kinan, 
they might decide to turn around and come back. They might decide to turn around and come back. Imagine that after all the miracles and after all the, the I wouldn't say effort, but all of the uh, concern that a Baruch had for Am Yisrael, at the end there's a worry in heaven that they're going to turn around and run away. They're going to turn around and run away and go back to wherever they came from. They go back to wherever it was they came from. Lead to Egypt. The next pasuk says, pasuk yudchet 18, vayasev, God turned them around, went around the long way, at the amderech hamidbar yamsuf, hamidbar yamsuf. So that's why he did that. And then the, the, the continuation of the pasuk says, chamushim alu b'nei Yisrael merits v'sraq, chamushim. You see the word chamushim in Rashi? I'll, I'll, I'll underline it here to find it. Here, you see it? Chamushim. Ein chamushim ele mezuyanim. Chamushim means that they're armed. They have they, they have arms with them. Lefi shesivan bamidbar garam lahem shalu chamushim. Because God took them around, they, they had to be armed. They had to be armed because who knows what's going to happen. Shilu sivan derech yishuv. Lo ayu mechumashim lahem kol mashetzrichim. He says, if God had taken them through uh, a populated area, it would be different. But since they went through the desert, they had to have arms. Elaka adam shover b'makom l'makom. A person goes from one place to another. Ova daato liknot sham mashetzrichim. He he had it planned out that he'd be able to go in a day from place A to place B, and when he gets to place B, he'll buy whatever he needs. I will show parish la bar tzarich lizamein lo kol He has to get everything in advance when he goes into the desert because there's no red apple rest along the along the way. For those of you old enough to recognize, remember what the red apple rest is. Elaka Adam, I'm sorry, certainly we call it Torah of Mikraze, Lonichtav Kiim, Lishaberta Ozen. This is just that we should be able to, I don't know, Lishaberta Ozen. We should like uh, have something to think about. Shelo Titma Bimilchemet Amalek, Lechemet Sichon, Ogil Midian. Do not be surprised that later on there would be wars against Amalek and was against Sichon and Og and Midian. How did they have the weaponry to fight the war? Because they have to, well, they won all of these battles. You, 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 this is for Rashi approved. But I mean, I think I I just don't don't get it. They didn't trust God, and so they might run back. But they took weapons with them in order to fight the battles of the future, and 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 they didn't run back to Eretz Mitzrayim. I think I think what Rashi is trying to tell us is that 
B'nai Yisrael were on shaky ground, uh, spiritually, religiously. It, 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 they just were not confident. They were not confident. It goes back to the to the Makkah of Dam, the first of the ten Makkot, where the magicians of Mitzrayim were able to imitate what Moshe and Aaron brought upon the the, the world. Maybe not quite as uh, much or as serious, but they did it. They did it somehow. So there we are. Again, Rashi is is very. Birota uh, milchama. You see, pasuk Yudzayin, the first pasuk, right? Penye penyenachemam birota milchama. I think that that means that things are going to be normal. This, these people have to be normalized. Normalized means that you have to take responsibility. You can't just stand there and say, God, save me. That's certainly not the way it works in the world. And even, so that's what Rashi says, God said, I mean, after all, they're going into the desert. They are usurpers, so to speak. They're going to do something that nobody else has ever did done. So this is a this is the way I I, I read the the psukim. You, you could say you know in a kind of a humorous way. Yitzhak Mitzrayim was a failure. I mean, whatever it was that Yitzhak Mitzrayim was supposed to accomplish, and I'm not saying that we got it down perfectly, but we have it approximately. Like, you know, the Egyptians were supposed to learn something, the Jews were supposed to learn something. It doesn't make any sense to say that God put them into the slavery of Mitzrayim for no reason at all. And there's certainly Yitziat Mitzrayim was a grand event. And certainly B'nai Yisrael would be expected to learn from Yitziat Mitzrayim. But HaKadosh Baruch says no. And more interesting, more interesting, the Torah records that the exodus, the actual leaving of Mitzrayim, was either the responsibility of it or to the credit of Paro as a state. That's what it says in the Pasuk. Now there's a turnaround. Things change in the course of the Pasha of and they change at Kriyat Yamsuf. They change at Kriyat Yamsuf. Now the Rambam says the Rambam says that Kriyat Yamsuf, the, the splitting of the Red Sea, was something special. You can't really compare it to any other miracle. And since it was special, and you can't compare it to any other miracle, it must be something from which you learn. 
so that which you can really, really get something out of it. But what happened to B'nai Yisrael is this pasuk, Perik Tadvav pasuk Aleph, do you see it? Az Yashir Moshe U'b'nai Yisrael is no longer Paro. There's Moshe. Moshe B'nai Yisrael, he's leading the singing. He's leading the singing. And let's say singing is singing. You know, music, words, together, singing. Something you do when you have extreme emotional connection. That's something you do. Stam. I know there are people who sing in the shower. Yeah, I know that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a reaction to an extraordinary event. In fact, it was so extraordinary and so wondrous that we have a record of this singing of the words. We don't have a record of the music, unfortunately, but we have a record of the words by And they said, but it said, that's what it says, that it was a song that was appropriate for thanking God. It was appropriate. I mean, you know that there's music in in our tradition. Beit HaMikdash, the Levi'im, they sang. Singing was something that it went with the korbanot, with the sacrifices. So the words, the words which we say every day, and when we daven, every day. That's how it starts, and it continues. And of course, the words of the of the shirat uh, yam, as we have them are interesting and difficult and special, but I don't want to get to those words. I want to just look at this pasuk. Az yashir Moshe Yisrael. Az. Az means afterwards. Afterwards, after something that happened, Moshe Rabbeinu became, right, he took over from Paro. Remember Paro? Bishalach Paro. Paro was in charge of Yitziat Mitzrayim. As Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge of thanking Hakadosh Baruch but you know, you know, you thank uh, you thank somebody, you kind of bring a gift, and to bring a gift for Hakadosh Baruch Hu, not an easy thing. So Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who brought a song to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Rashi. Rashi says, as Yeshua Moshe, as, the way I read it, as, comma, as, Kishara when he saw what had happened with Kriyati Yamsuf, the fleek of the sea, Allah belibo she Yeshua What do you think that means? Allah belibo. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, oh, he like, he remembered that he had to sing a song. It doesn't mean that. It means something special happened to him. Allah Bilibo, I mean, your heart is like the place of special emotional concern and consideration. 
it says, et hashira, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Rashi says, as kshira hanes, what does that mean? I mean, is that what he always did? No, we never heard of that before. We never heard that he was a poet or a troubadour, a singer, a, a, a musician. He suddenly realized that he could do it. I mean, it's like very similar to somebody who's never played the piano, sitting down and just playing the piano in a very kind of professional and superior manner. That's Moshe Rabbein, that's what Rashi says, and that's what the word Az references. It's just then, that moment, and the Rashi brings other proofs of this. Right, then he gets involved in Yashir. Why is it Yashir? But, but, but again, this part is what interests me. Allah believe Bo. I mean, what could that possibly mean? So I think it means that Moshe Rabbeinu did something he never did before. And he, what he did before, he did, right? Ubenei Yisrael, he did it with everybody. But the Allah believe Bo is his, was Moshe Rabbeinu. Right, he was the he was the the leader, the conductor, the 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 person who who led this Thanksgiving. Right, et hashira hazot l'Hashem. He he sang a song that was the appropriate thanks to God. And they said it all together. Moshe Rabbeinu led them, but having led them, they understood how to follow. And they became singers with Moshe Rabbeinu, with singers with Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, there's another pasuk or two that I think we should uh, note. Vatikach Miriam Hanevia, you see Pasukav, Vatikach Miriam Hanevia, Miriam the prophetess, Achot Aharon, Achot Aharon. You know he was, she was also Achot uh, Moshe, Achot Aharon, Etatov Biada, she took the a drum, I guess. Drum. Vetitzena kol hanashim achareha v'tupimu v'mecholot. So we learned something. I will get to the postgraduate, but tupim and mecholot means there was music. There was music. And you know, when there's music, the words tend to disappear. I don't mean that we don't say the words. We say the words, but they lose importance. The, the music dominates. That's why you can go to listen to, a, to an opera in Italian, 
if you don't understand a word of Italian or you can't speak a word of Italian because it's all music. It's all music. Even musicals in English, the words are not particularly important. You get the general idea, but the importance is that it's all music. The words, I think, become part of the music. So let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, just one second. Rashi asks a good question. <laughs> what is the Torah calling her Neviyah? Navi is a status that is bestowed upon a person by heaven. Where, where was, did this happen? So Raji says, okay, Shaita Achot Aaron. That's like you have to read the Pasuk. He answers another question. Why doesn't the Pasuk say, So, because it's explaining Neviyah. When was she a Neviyah? Then she was a Neviyah, right? Before Moshe Rabbeinu was born, Amra, she said, my mother's going to have a son. That's a Gemara. The Gemara says that. So she's really asking the question, answering the question of why it says Achot Aaron, but not Achot, Achot Moshe. But she doesn't, so he, he does that by, by saying that one, that the explanation of the of the but Rashi is, is insisting that the word Neviyah has to be explained. I mean, okay, he has his way of doing it, but the word Neviyah is kind of out of place. Achot haron, et atof What about the tof? At the tof, Rashi says, kli shel zemer. Kli shel zemer. Tof doesn't mean a, just a W you bang on. But it's all, it, it's a word that covers all of the musical instruments. Tupim and mecholot, that's what it says at the end of the pasuk, tupim are drums and mecholot, things that make nice noises. Move, Rashi says, the, the righteous of that generation, the women, who are righteous, what's certain that God that God would do a uh, do miracles and they took these instruments with them when they left Mitzrayim. Okay. Okay. I mean, I don't know if that's such a good but you know, Rashi, Rashi wants to tell us, you know, you know, there's always like that nudnik in the class who says why did they take Tupim and Mecholot with them? Why didn't they take just, you know, clothing or something? Why did they take Tupim and Mecholot? So Raji answers that question. Answers that question. The next Pasuk says, Matan Lahem Miriam. Matan Lahem Miriam. Rashi, look at the Rashi. Moshe, Mashi, Ralan Hashim. 
We know that it's Paro. Now that the Egyptians have all been done away with, it's definitely Moshe. Paro, Paro expresses the fact that he doesn't, that he didn't learn anything from Yitzhak Yitzrayim. And Moshe Rabbeinu expressed the fact that he's the great teacher of how to, to be thankful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for what has happened. Now there's a famous Torah of uh, Rav Nachman of Bratzlo, which we can't learn today. But we can look at a couple of lines, which I think might be helpful. I think might be helpful in understanding, especially what a Shira is. First, he says this, V'dash al yedei you have to know this, that when the tzaddik sings, has a nigun, like, Moshe, that he is like Moshe Rabbeinu. How is he like Moshe Rabbeinu? Okay, he has his idea. This is what he talked about. He kind of fixes things. The tzaddik is able to fix things. But let me let me go back and and explain the beginning of that line. Da shalide nigun shel atzadik shehu bechinat Moshe. What is hu bechinat Moshe? So there was this idea in Chasidut that when the Torah tells us stories, and in the stories there are special people, those stories are told to us because. Every generation needs those special people or somebody who plays the role of one of those special people. So when he says, a tzaddik hu b'chinat Moshe, says there is in every generation, every generation, every time, there is a righteous person. There is a righteous person there because we need him. We can't live without him. And just as the people in Yitzhak Mitzrayim couldn't live without Moshe Rabbeinu, we can't live without the representative of Moshe Rabbeinu in our generation. And so the nigun of the tzaddik, the nigun, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. So what's the nigun of the tzaddik? What does it mean to say that there is? a melody that is associated with the tzaddik. So I think, I think that melody is the neutralization of words. Words, we all know, are wondrous things. They lead us to all sorts of wonderful places, but, they don't always leave us 
with clarity. We know this is what Rav Nachman was talking about, but we can't go through it all here. But we know that the Gemara is the hotbed of Machloket. Anything that anybody says in the Gemara is someone else who disagrees. And that what we try to do is figure out a way to bring these two positions closer to each other. But when we can't, we recognize the fact that this is the problem of words. Words are hard to define. If you go into it deeply, deeper and deeper, you find it more and more difficult to come up with a uniform a uniform result. That's why we have. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of a shiur. I'll call you back, okay? Literary. Right. I'll call you later again. Bye-bye. Literary criticism is about how to disagree about what the author really meant or how to disagree about what the classical work was really pointing us to. What's the solution? What's the solution? Is there some way? I mean, so if we approach God with our interpretation, because here we're learning Torah together, we approach God with our interpretation and say, how are we doing? You don't get much of a response. Look at this because we could do better. We could be clearer. We could do it in a way that that is so so uh, so much better than the way that we're doing it, the way that we are trying to understand it. What saves us? I'm talking about Rav Nachman, right? Rav Nachman. I don't have to defend it. What saves us is the nigun. And, and, and you know that nigun, you don't feel the sense of machloket. You don't feel when you're singing in a group with a large group of people, you don't feel the, the, the difference of opinion. You feel only the together. And it doesn't matter, I think, doesn't matter what the words say. And you could repeat words again and again, backwards and forwards, and come up with some kind of strange alternative order for the words that you are that you are singing, because it doesn't really matter. You've left the world of the words and you're on the way to the world of Shira. You're on your way to the world of Shira. And so leaving the world of words and going to the world of Shiva is a kind of a clarification. Like you feel better about it. You feel good about what you're doing. It's, it's not the clarification of words, but it's the clarification of who you are. And anybody who plays music, anybody who's into, like into knows that the music is special. It's, it's not just something you do, but it's something, something that you're able to take yourself and put it in a new place. Put it in a new place. It's not the same as saying the words. Not the same as saying the words. And I think that that's the reason 
that, well, maybe not the reason, but it, it certainly is indicative of the fact that we, in our own kind of organizing, davening, very often, very often want to include music in the davening, even though there's a contradiction, I think, between saying the words and doing the music. But we want to do the music. We feel that it's the better. It's better than saying the words. But we're sometimes a little stuck in a place where we can't we can't really move. So the Rav Nachman says, "Shekol chachma v'chachma ba'olam yesh la zemer v'nigun miyuchad." What does that mean? It means understanding. There, there, you could reach to understanding. You could reach up. Every chachma, anything that you're doing, you could sing it. You could sing it nigun miyuchad. Somehow there's this relationship. What's the relationship? The chachma is, is physics, it's literature, it's language. I mean, that's all the, the chachma, the chachma that we know. He says, no. It's clearer. It's better. It helps you to understand, helps you understand what, what's going on. So even though I said, even though I said that Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching B'nai Yisrael, was teaching B'nai Yisrael uh, how to thank God, I, 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 I would retract that now and tell you, let's look again at that Pasuk. Let's look at the Pasuk. As Yeshua Moshe Ovenei Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu was leading them into Shira Hazot Lashem, that Ashira can bring you closer to God. Ashira can answer the question. Answer the, is there going to be a promise? Is, is the promise going to be fulfilled? It's going to be fulfilled. Will we get to Eretz Canaan? We're going to get to Eretz Canaan. The certainty, the clarity, comes from the Shira, comes from the Shira. It's not the Shira of thanking God. I mean, it was God who promised that we did. It's the knowledge that we suddenly have that the, that the, uh, uh, the promise that God made is in effect. Nothing has changed at the Shira Zot by And they said together, oh God, we don't know, but we could assume that there was music, that there was music and that the music took the people out of the words and made them. And that's why if you look at the Chiratayam, you'll see not all the words seem to be relevant to, to what's going on because the idea was to sing it together, Shira, Shira Azot. And so, the Torah has to stress that Miriam was a bona fide Neviyah she was able to do for the women what Moshe Rabbeinu did for the men. What did he do? He clarified the relationship between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which was not clear until that very moment. Along came Miriam, and Miriam was in the Viyah. For some reason or other, we'll take Rashi's interpretation, she was in the Viyah. And, and, and uh, she was able to 
clarify to the women. I mean, this was the moment when Am Yisrael was created because one of the definitions of Am Yisrael is that they had trust in God. They trusted. They knew that whatever happened, the promise would be fulfilled. Right? Two people with cholot. They had the music. I assume that the men also had the music. But Tan led Miriam, and Miriam spoke the words that they didn't know. So we have this kind of uh, learning. We're learning the what we what we see is that Yitzhak Mitzrayim was not accomplished. Nothing was accomplished for the Egyptians at all. They were not able to absorb the idea of one God, one power, one authority. They were not able to absorb that. And therefore, they were destroyed. B'nai Yisrael, at first, was not certain about the promise. They were saying to themselves, let's get something now. Let's get it right away. Let's do it, you know, before before it goes away. But after Kriyat Yamsuf, Moshe Rabbeinu, and they understood that Moshe Rabbeinu was the tzaddik that Rav Nachman is talking about. That he was the person who knew how to connect Am Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And they sang together. They sang together the words of Shiratayam. And why did they sing together? Because that took them above the words, beyond the words of promise, took them in a place where they could feel connected to the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that gave them confidence that the future is intact. And that was the point, after all, of Yitzhiat Mitzrayim. All the best. Have a wonderful week and a good Shabbos. Thank you very much, Rabbi.